This is the Gospel City Church podcast. Our hope is that this message is helpful, encouraging, and even life-changing as you grow to know the person and work of Jesus. Enjoy this message today. Today's scripture is found in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 6. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ, on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Amen. Uh, Last week, uh, Pastor Shin spoke uh, in the previous set of verses uh, about uh, focusing on the lordship of Christ in our relationships, uh, particularly in our marriage, uh, our family, and our workplace. And uh, it was um, very well-oriented towards the practical uh, and uh, helping us uh, really deal with those uh, situations. And if you think about those uh, contexts of relationships, they're very complex Uh, And uh, there's a lot of things that you have to think about, be challenged about. There's a lot of complexities there. Uh, This week, we continue uh, in another practical manner. Uh, And this week, uh, the difference is that it is seemingly less complex. Um, The topic is about uh, prayer and evangelism. Praying, I hope everyone does, and it seems simple enough. Uh, You kind of talk to God, and it seems like you are uh, praying, and evangelism Uh, is perhaps a little more difficult uh, and challenging, but in terms of just thinking about it, it's not too complex. Uh, But uh, as we get into uh, our passage a little more, uh, we see that it is also still challenging uh, in terms of really engaging in prayer and evangelism. And today's passage teaches us about, uh, if I can put it more colloquially, speaking to our Heavenly Father and speaking to our neighbors, Uh, and that's why the title of the sermon is Speech Towards God and Speech Towards Our Neighbor. Um, And it was particularly challenging, actually, uh, preparing this sermon uh, for myself uh, a little bit, not necessarily because the passage is long or complex. Uh, The the wording is actually very uh, readable uh, in terms of the passage, but it's challenging because uh, it kept pressing my heart in terms of the prayer aspect uh, that um, I kept thinking as I was especially getting towards the tail end of my preparation, am I praying enough? I have done the reading, I have done the writing, uh, I've done the organizing and all that stuff, but am I praying enough over this sermon for it to be used by God? Uh, And it was uh, challenging in that sense. It always seemed like I wasn't praying enough and there could always be more time uh, left to pray. Um, But I was deeply encouraged throughout. Um, I didn't realize it at the time because some of it was a little earlier in the week. Uh, But a couple people in this congregation did text me, I am praying for your sermon. Um, And I didn't uh, realize the connection until way later, uh, closer to today. Uh, But uh, I think providentially, God really encouraged me through those texts. And hopefully they did pray and not just send me the text. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm sure they did. 
but it, it was a good encouragement, and I think not just an encouragement on my end. I really do think that spiritually, the work of uh, preaching starts there, uh, of the prayer of the congregation towards its speaker, uh, so that the Word of God can be properly uh, and rightly preached. So today I want to give you two questions as an outline. Uh, and the first question is, how is your prayer life? So that's the first point. Um, hopefully we'll get through answering that as the first point goes on. And then the second is, how is your heart for evangelism? Um, it's very uh, simple enough. Uh, and more broadly, we can uh, ask the question, those two questions, clump them together and ask them this way. How has and is the gospel shaping the way you speak? Because those, these two things involve speaking. Uh, it, it involves words. Uh, they're activities of words. And the question we can kind of generalize and ask uh, in a succinct manner is, how has the gospel impacted your speech? Earlier in chapter 3, verse 8 through 9, we've heard, but now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. And these, past, this, these verses were about putting off the old self. And there is, in the middle of it, these practices of speech, lying, slandering, obscene talk. And it's instructing us to uh, take them off and not uh, live in that manner uh, anymore. When I was doing uh, college ministry for a while, uh, there was uh, a question that was often asked, not as often as the dating question, uh, but it was still quite often asked, and that question was, is it a sin to curse? Uh, and, you know, initially my thought is, you know, does this person want to curse? Is this why they're asking me? Um, do they want license from me to uh, curse where they go? Um, but without drawing a clear line here right now, uh, I think uh, that question and just that context helps us understand with uh, what we will hear and what we see in chapter 3, uh, that the habits of our tongue, of our mouth, need to be progressively holier and holier through the gospel and the gospel working in our hearts. So as the gospel works in our lives, as the Lord moves us towards becoming more like Christ, our habits of the mouth need to become more like him. And I think the answer to that question lies in working that out uh, in that context. So our first point, the question of how is your prayer life, uh, I think we, we can glean from uh, the first three verses, verse 2 to 4. We actually don't have too many verses, but let me read that for us again. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. These verses can be further divided into two ways. I know I'm dividing a lot, and I will do that a little, quite a bit today, I think. Um, and I can, we can divide it in the manner of our prayer is the first way we can kind of observe the first verse. And then the content of our prayer we can observe in the, the latter two verses. And the first point uh, of that division, the manner of our prayer, 
uh, we first encounter this phrase, continue steadfastly, uh, in the very first part of verse 2. And that is, uh, that is how we should pray, is what Paul is, Apostle Paul is instructing us. And here the focus actually is not uh, in terms of him saying, continue steadfastly. It's not about intensity. If you do intensely pray, I'm not telling you to stop. Please continue to intensely pray. Uh, kneel, yell, shout. If you know that is how you pray, that's fine. But the focus here that we are given uh, is that we are to pray persistently and with perseverance, continually, steadfastly uh, in our prayer lives. Because prayer, in one way, is a marker of the spiritual life that we are given, the new life that we are given in Christ. As we are united to him through the Holy Spirit, we are to be growing in our prayer life. It is a marker of being a Christian uh, in one sense. So when I ask you, how is your prayer life? I'm not just asking the activities on the side that you are doing as a person after you have become a Christian. In some sense, I am asking, are you a Christian? As you pray, you are illustrating that you are in Christ. And we see this very strongly when we observe the first line of the Lord's Prayer, uh, where it begins, Our Father in heaven. The prayer that our Lord taught us starts with, Our Father in heaven. And that line cannot be said by one who does not know our Lord. They can say it with their mouth, but they can't mean it from their heart. Because our Heavenly Father is only our Heavenly Father in Jesus Christ, as we have received salvation through his gospel. So when I ask, how is your prayer life? It is asking in one way, are you a Christian? Are you living like a Christian? Do you pray, live continually, depending on your heavenly Father? So not to pray. Tim Keller actually puts it in this way. He often says that if you are not praying, uh, maybe I can even say enough, if you are not having a healthy prayer life, you are a functional atheist. He's not saying you're not a Christian. He's saying you may still be saved, but you just look functionally like an atheist if your prayer life is unhealthy. And that's how serious he is saying it is in terms of growing in our prayer life. Um, so if you say you believe, but your prayer life is not that different from a non-Christian in the sense that it is very sparse. It is very ritualistic in the sense that it's very only formal. Then perhaps there are things that we need to reflect upon. So to continue steadfastly in prayer means to devote ourselves to the task of prayer individually, corporately, with persistence and perseverance. Again, uh, when I was doing college ministry, I was not in charge of the whole thing. I had a boss above me. He was actually one of my friends, um, but he was still my boss. 
um, and uh, I had to do what he said in some ways. You know, we, we talked a lot, discussed. Um, but uh, we would have Friday night service meetings for the college students. We would gather them at our church, uh, and uh, we'd have praise, and then um, time of word, and then we would usually end uh, in a very simple liturgy with a time of prayer. Uh, and when I began uh, serving at that church um, under uh, my friend, um, you know, I didn't know his style uh, in terms of how that service would go. So we had praise, uh, we had the word, and then we had prayer time. And I was like, okay, it's very standard. Uh, and he would go up at the end and kind of toss uh, some topics for the students to pray about. And then we would kind of pray with some background music together for those topics. And uh, the first few times, uh, I, I would be in the back kind of uh, observing. And he would go for like 15 minutes. Uh, and okay, I would assume, all right, this is ending. This is ending soon. And then the music would kind of die out a little bit. And then he would toss another topic. And then I was like, okay, uh, I guess this is still going. So then he would go for another 15 minutes. Um, tossing out a few more topics, and uh, we'd pray for about 30 minutes, and I was like, okay, it's probably ending now. Uh, and then it would go again, because he'd toss another topic, uh, and it would go a couple more times like that, uh, up to about an hour. Uh, some weeks it was even more than an hour, um, and uh, it was quite long, um, at least in my book. Um, and some of the students, uh, some of the students who were leaders in our ministry would come after. Uh, they couldn't go talk to him, so they came to me uh, and said, uh, Pastor Paul, um, could you, like, shorten the prayer time a little bit? Like, you know, we have stuff to do when we get back to our dorms. Um, and they would try to plead with me, and I would tell them, I have no power. <laughs> go talk to Pastor so-and-so. Um, and... Even though uh, we kind of uh, talk about the timing, and perhaps that's not something that uh, everyone needs or, uh, you know, up to that long, uh, I respected, uh, especially in hindsight, my friends, my boss's heart for prayer. For him, you can really tell that it's not just about the skills of pastoring or the activities of pastoring. It was the posture of his heart towards depending and clinging on to God. That he saw it that important that he needed to pray that long. And it's not, there's no strict rule how long you have to do that, an hour, two hours, or whatever. But I think it reflected at least, it reflected more of my sinfulness not to depend on God. That he was sure this ministry will fall if I do not pray. So we need to, in whatever context, continue steadfastly, meaning day in and day out, that we are to persistently, continually uh, be in prayer. And one thing that I do want to mention is that prayer is not just an emotional experience. Uh, as we talk about it being persistent. Uh, and it can be very emotional. It's not to say that you take that part out. But foundationally, it is a discipline and a sign of dependence upon the Lord. So if your prayer life is very dry and you have no emotion, 
you still kneel and you come before the Lord. It's not foundationally an emotional experience. It is a discipline of dependence. Secondly, we are to pray, Apostle Paul tells us, with watchfulness and thankfulness. Watchfulness here is referring to a sense of being alert, being sober-minded. Ephesians 6, 18 tells us, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And part of being alert is that we are to understand what is going on. It's not just keeping your eyes open. You know, sometimes I used to do this when I was very little. I always love prayer times. I would say, this is nap time. Um, elementary school, when I was in elementary school, and, you know, you close your eyes and take a little nap and then wake up later. I'm sure some of you guys did that too. Um, or maybe not. <laughs> but it's not just about keeping alert in being awake physically. It's about noticing. It's about seeing the details of what needs to be prayed for. Do you come in here, and as even when we do the meet and greet, do you try to pick up on things that you need to pray for for that other person? I don't do that, but do we? Can we do that as a church? Can we start practicing in that way? Do we pray specifically in our prayers, not just generally, Lord, thank you for today? That's not a bad prayer, but here we are to be watchful in a more detailed sense. What has happened today that the Lord has placed before my life where I need to cling on to him and pray? What are those things? And I think one way, if we can more expand out of our congregation and do that in terms of watchfulness, is to pray for missionaries. Uh, and not just generally uh, missions work, but to really know the missionaries out there by name, by the work that they are engaged in, and really pray for them in terms of their needs uh, and their context. So that we are continually praying for them in that sense. One way I think that I've learned over the years uh, to do this, even if you don't know a specific uh, missionary personally, is there's a book called Operation World. Uh, it's a publication uh, by an agency that uh, puts together all these countries, I think almost all the countries, and it's a very thick book, and it details uh, the state of that country in terms of Christianity. And you can go through that book just maybe one a day praying for that country very specifically. And hopefully they keep updating that book. But that is something that we can do in terms of watchfulness. That if you are praying in a watchful manner, that you are very detail-oriented, that you are concerned to pray in that detailed manner. And another thing about watchfulness is to expect. Expect things from God. The first very plain thing is to expect that God is listening as you pray. That doesn't mean that he will give you the answer that you want. A lot of times it is the answer that you didn't want, but it is the answer that you need. Or it is, the answer is coming way, way later, but you don't know that yet. 
but you still pray with expectancy in the fact that he listens and that he will give you an answer. And when we pray particularly, and this connects to the second point, when we pray especially for gospel missions and evangelism, that we pray expecting that he will change lives. That if we truly believe that the gospel is powerful, that we shouldn't expect less, that it can change lives and souls, and that he can bring people back to resurrection life. The other thing is that we should pray with thanksgiving. And ultimately, in terms of thanksgiving, we are to be grateful for the gift of Jesus Christ given to us as he came, died on the cross, was buried, and resurrected on the third day, that he bought, purchased us salvation in his work and life on earth, that we are ultimately to be grateful for that. But on top of that, in addition to that, in the the details of life, that we are to be thankful in our prayer of the things that we have, rather than focus solely on the things that we do not have. And it's not to say that you can't ask for things in prayer. There definitely is a petition part in the Lord's Prayer. But is our heart so focused on the things that we want and do not have that we are missing out and being thankful for the things that are actually here in our lives that God has granted us? If you actually go back to Genesis 3, where the fall happens with Adam and Eve, one of the perspectives that you can see this through is that they missed what they had. They had everything else in the Garden of Eden except they were forbidden to eat that one tree. And yet they kept looking at what they did not have. And not to explain this in a do and not do sense, you can see their heart of discontent. And they were not thankful for everything else that was laid before them, given to them. And Apostle Paul is saying, pray with thankfulness. There is so much, so much in your life that you are to be thankful for. Our second in that first point is the content of prayer. So then what are we to pray for? He says, pray also for us. And he's requesting prayer for individual, it seems that he's requesting for prayer for individual and personal needs, uh, but he continues and says that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. Paul's writing this letter from prison. And some commentators point out that Paul's not asking for uh, the visible need for the door of prison to be opened. Uh, that may be kind of a common sense interpretation, but he's not doing that if you just keep reading through the verses. And you see even in Acts 16 where uh, there was an, while they were, uh, him and Silas were in prison, uh, there was an earthquake, the doors open, and they were free to go, but they stay because they were concerned about gospel preaching in the prisons there for the people that were there, including the guards. And you can see Apostle Paul's mentality and heart towards uh, this uh, need. It's not a change of circumstance so that 
I can pray for this or that I can evangelize here. He's saying it doesn't matter where I am, what context I'm in. Pray that the door for gospel preaching will be opened, even inside the prison. I don't care about the prison doors, but let the gospel doors of preaching be opened is his concern. And he's saying, as he says this to us, that the gospel preaching, gospel evangelism begins with prayer. And that's why I was so thankful as I was preparing this for those texts of I am uh, praying for your sermon this week. That as I was studying this, I realized that's really where it starts. That God uses that in advancing his kingdom. Many churches depend on programs, schedules, events, and those are good. Those are necessary in some respect. But they are not the beginning of gospel advancement. Prayer, Apostle Paul is telling us, is the beginning point of gospel advancement. So GCC, question for us is, do we pray for that? Do we pray for divinely ordained opportunities for the gospel to be preached here and in your lives? Do you pray regularly for Pastor Sean, Pastor Shin, and even our intern as they labor in their call for the gospel? Because their work does not start with them. It starts with you. God opens doors as you pray for gospel preaching in your lives and up here and everywhere you encounter. And when it comes to the people around you, uh, particularly who do not know Christ, uh, the other thing that we can uh, think about in terms of the content of prayer is, are we simply waiting for the right circumstances for the door to be opened? Are you actively seeking that out? Are we praying for specific occasions so that we can grasp onto them? And another point that we can add to that is, are you praying just out of your comfortable circumstances? That perhaps as you pray for gospel advancement, it means that you will have to change your life and enter into a particularly difficult circumstance. We're not to go chasing those circumstances, but if God calls us into that, are you praying and running into it? And the one example that I thought of is if we pray for North Korea to be opened up so that the gospel can be really spread in that nation because they definitely need it there. What we are actually praying for is the economic hurt of South Korea. Sociologically, it's almost inevitable if people come down in terms of the mixing of the different socioeconomic statuses. But are we willing for gospel advancement, to take that on? Do we want North Korea to open up so much so that the gospel can enter into that country 
even at the expense of our discomfort and perhaps even economic struggle? Do we pray in that way? In verses 5 and 6, uh, it continues in terms of the second point of evangelism. What is your heart for evangelism? Here, we see the word outsiders uh, referring to those who do not believe. So it is a clear, uh, specific word towards us as we engage with those people who do not believe. Uh, and uh, talking about conversations that we will have with them. And it echoes Peter's words in 1 Peter 3.15, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. What does Apostle Paul say to instruct us in our speech with unbelieving friends and neighbors? He says in three ways, with wisdom, with grace, and with seasoning. First, with wisdom and seizing the opportunities. And here we are given the picture of walking. Walking, which involves doing life together with that unbelieving person. That we are not just to chase people randomly, tell them the gospel, and run away. Perhaps that is one way we can do it. But Paul is saying, you are to walk with them, and as you walk with them, opportunities can be prayed for and seized upon. Opportunities will open. I had a student in my college ministry. He was a very smart guy. He's doing a PhD in neuroscience right now. I don't think he finished yet, but, um, but he's one of the smartest guys uh, in our ministry, and he would come to me very regularly, actually, with this question about human free will and God's sovereignty and how these can be put together. In the beginning of our conversations and a couple times that I met with him, I would try to, with the best of my ability and training, explain to him, as logically as that question could be answered, um, and give him the answer. But he would kind of take those answers, go back, and then think about himself, think about it himself, and then come back and ask, perhaps in a little bit of a different way, but the question would be the same. How do you put these two things together? And I had to seize the opportunity as I was ministering to him over the course of his college years and tell him at a certain point and say, I won't say his name, so-and-so, the problem right now is not with this logical seeming contradiction with you. Sure, there is something before us that is intellectual and that we can figure out. But I had to tell him the problem actually is that in your heart, you do not want to kneel before God and accept that he is sovereign over your life. You want to decide what it means that God is sovereign, and you want to decide in terms of your free will. That is actually your heart problem. And when I told him that, I don't know if the full gospel is working in terms of his heart, but he did ponder. And he said, that is something that I didn't think about. And I, I, he had to go back and really think through. 
And I think that was a, a Lord God-given chance that, that graciously he allowed me to seize and give him those words. And hopefully the Lord is still at work in his heart with different people in different ways. And those opportunities actually don't arise just in terms of instances. Sometimes they take a lot of time, across a lot of time. Rosaria Butterfield, a well-known author who used to be a lesbian uh, uh, or lived a lesbian lifestyle, uh, became a professor of queer theory, women's studies at Syracuse, and eventually met the Lord and had to get rid of that life altogether after she met the Lord. But the way she met our Lord is through this pastor named Ken Smith and his wife, Flo. And it wasn't a moment decision. And it wasn't just a moment interaction. She says in some of the interviews that it, it, she actually had about like 500 meals with this couple. Over the course, not, not all in a row, but over the course of years. And she would come, just become friends, raise her questions. He would not impose particular agendas that he wanted to give her, but really listen, answer, and just let her process in her time that the Lord was giving her. And eventually, she said, the resurrected Jesus is real. I have these emotions for the same sex, but I cannot deny that the Lord Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. And she said, I have to believe. But it took Ken Smith and his wife Flo seizing the opportunity over that course of time. So it wasn't just one opportunity. It was over the course of a long time that this happened. And the second thing that we see here is the first was with wisdom and seizing opportunity. Paul says, with gracious speech. Uh, and there is this adage that has been popular. I'm not sure if it's popular now. Uh, it's uh, the, the quote that's often attributed to St. Francis of Assisi, uh, where he says, preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. And it became popular because the church was very hypocritical. It would say all these good things and it would not live like it. So then it became popular saying, just live like it. Stop saying things that you don't live by. But we have to affirm, according to our passage here, that we have to use words. We do use words, but we also do live as best as we can lives that sync with those words. But the challenge here in terms of gracious speech we see is Apostle Paul uses the word always. He says always let your speech be gracious. And this means that if someone or anyone comes into your life, encounters you, and has a conversation, and when they walk away, that they sense the grace of Christ as they depart from you on every occasion. It is a high challenge that we are hearing. And the specific ways that we can be helped to do that is that we should not be arrogant 
in our speech. Gracious speech is not arrogant. And gracious speech listens more than it talks. We should use words, but it also listens far more to that other person's, and it is not argumentative in the third instance. I had this professor, he's passed away because of cancer. Uh, uh, he was a, an OT professor in my MDiv years, and he was one that I really wanted to emulate in terms of, well, his knowledge too, but uh, more about his Christ-like character. Because whenever you would encounter him, whenever you would come talk to him, even if it was brief or long, you would walk away not remembering him, but remembering the Lord Jesus Christ. Colleagues around him would always say, Al Groves, if you talk to him, he's just a pointer, they would say. And what they meant was, he's just so busy in his conversation and demeanor, pointing to Christ, always pointing to Christ. He did not want himself to be left in terms of the impression for that other person. He only wanted Christ to be remembered as that person walked away. And in that way, is your speech always gracious? Is the Lord's grace abundant in your speech? And thirdly, is it seasoned with salt? And this point is talking about, as you are alert, as you are praying alert from the first point, are you noticing as you Notice occasions of evangelism uh, where people are itching in terms of their heart, where they need to be scratched. Are you listening to people's heart desires in terms of just giving them the gospel? Are you really listening how they're living their life, what they are wanting in terms of their heart? And are you really noticing the underlying questions that they are trying to ask? and really scratching that in terms of your speech. If you notice John 4 uh, with the story of Jesus' encounter with the woman at the well, uh, the Samaritan woman, uh, you can really see this in action. She comes uh, at midday to fetch water because she doesn't want to see anybody. And Jesus says, give me some water. And she's shocked and the conversation goes on. And ultimately you can see uh, the wisdom of Christ in terms of really penetrating her heart and saying, I have what you need and you don't even know. You think you just need physical water so that you don't have to come here again. But I know that you want to be free from your shame because of whatever life that you have lived. And the desires of the heart, I have living water that can satisfy your soul. That is the true itch that that woman had, and Jesus was scratching it. And are we, in our seasoned speech, really looking out for that? Leslie Newbegin gives us a, a helpful quote uh, in this respect. He says, we should be, as Christians... Leslie Newbigin was a missionary to India, um, and he said, live in the kingdom of God in such a way that it provokes questions for which the gospel is the answer. 
live and talk and converse and engage in such a way that when they raise questions, the obvious answer is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is it seasoned? Is your speech seasoned in that way? We've gone over a lot of instruction, a lot of commands, and at this point of the letter of Colossians, it is a very practical giving instruction portion, and that is why that is the case. And even for the first two points that we've covered, we have to seek how can we be properly motivated to engage in prayer and evangelism. Because we can't just try to do that. And the way that we do it properly is actually in the middle of our passage and all throughout the letter, actually, is that we are to be reminded uh, that the overarching point of Colossians in the first instance is to make Christ preeminent that the letter of Colossians, it begins with Christ who is preeminent. And the purpose of prayer and evangelism, at least in our passage that we've looked at, is not to live a good Christian life. That is the result. But the main driving force is to make Christ preeminent, to be shown, be most important in your life, and to illustrate it that in that other person's life, he too uh, is the most important for them. To make him preeminent. And secondly, the other motivation we get is to be thankful for the mystery of Christ declared to you. Uh, and to receive uh, as, as your salvation is given to you that we are to be thankful for the mystery of Christ, or the words that we are given in today's passage. And what does that mean in terms of mystery of Christ and to be thankful for that? First thing that we can kind of think about is that over the redemptive history that we are given in Scripture, if I ask you, how would you have imagined salvation to come about for us? How many of you guys would honestly say the cross and the empty tomb? I think the proper, honest answer would be that no one would have imagined that. That it seems very obvious for us now, but it is a very counterintuitive storyline. But as that is salvation history, now narrow it down to your own lives. Could you have imagined yourself being granted salvation? I hope the answer is no, in a good way. Because if you realize the sin in your heart and the depravity of your life before you met Christ, it makes no sense that you and I are granted the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we are given that. We are given just that radical thing. Is this not a mystery? 
Is it not mysterious that you, I, are given freely the salvation in Jesus Christ? It is a radical, marvelous thing that we talk about every week. Are we thankful for that? Do we realize the depravity that we have been pulled out of and the love that even surpasses that depravity through our Lord Jesus Christ to give us new life? It is in realizing this and to be thankful for it that we can be really engaged in praying to God as our Father, not as a burden, but out of joy, out of thankfulness, and to be really engaged in evangelism, not just as a task, but because you are so enamored by this news, you have to share it. That you want to grab the next person and say, do you know Jesus? Do you know him? And I want to end our time today with uh, another passage of Apostle Paul from Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. Let me read it for us. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love towards all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body the fullness of him who fills all in all. Church, let us continue to be enamored by the gospel of Jesus Christ so that we are led with joy towards prayer and towards evangelism, towards those who really need that. Let's pray at this time. If you've been blessed through this ministry, join us in reaching others by partnering with us today. Gospel City is a gospel-centered church in Seoul, South Korea, on a mission to plant Korean-speaking, healthy, gospel-centered churches. You can give by going to the website give.thegospelcity.org. Thank you for listening, and subscribe to enjoy more messages like this. Remember, Jesus changes everything.